Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. With that in mind, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. I'm going to look at two verses this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And as you're finding it, uh, I think some of the leaders have sent out the notes. You can get the notes in our uh, website, I believe, and in our church app. So you could just follow along with the notes and you could fill it in. And hopefully you could save it later. Uh, and once you save it, you'll have a collection of all these notes and it'll be an encouragement to you. I understand not everyone will be here for the long haul. Some of you are going to go back home to your home country. Some of you are going to move to a different place because of a job. And you just don't know what it is that God is going to place you in and give you the opportunity to do. Some of you might have to lead in different contexts. And so we, we've been trying to encourage some of us to take all the things that you're learning here and then use it into the different context you're in. We've also talked about HMCC.TV. Uh, that website is a resource center that we're creating so we could put all these different resources for you so that even when you are no longer in our church or in Hong Kong, you can go to that website and you could download some of the materials and use it wherever you are because we really want to be able to train people in the context of our church. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. I wanted to start off with a question, and you're going to have to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to raise. It's not going to be too embarrassing, but I need you to raise your hand. How many of you enjoy cooking? Can I see your hands being raised? Okay. Not too many, but a good handful. Uh, how many of you enjoy eating more? Okay, there we go. This is, this, this, this is where we see. So pretty much those who don't like to put in the time and effort and those who just enjoy eating. You know, I always find it amazing when I find people or discover people who are able to taste something and they could identify exactly what ingredients are in there. I just find it very fascinating. And so they could eat something and they could identify, oh, it has a little bit of this, this, and it has a little bit of that. And they begin to kind of explain what the food is. And even when they enjoy coffee, maybe some of us enjoy a good wine with our steak, and they can actually describe just exactly the notes on that coffee. And it's amazing when I meet people like that. And so what I wanted to do is, since all of you enjoy eating, and there's a handful of people who will enjoy cooking, uh, we're going to do a little test here. And I want to make sure and see who are the ones who really know their food. So we're going to do a Mentimeter. So if you can go ahead and scan. And the more participation, the more fun it will be. This is a good opportunity for you to realize if you are truly a foodie or you are a faker. I don't know how, how else to look at it. If you enjoy food or you just kind of fake this whole thing about you enjoying food or you're a foodie. So go ahead and uh, scan that QR code there. And we're going to enter into this quiz or this test to really see if you know your food and some of these key ingredients in some of these different dishes that are being made, as well as to be able to know what are some of these things that you eat. And those who are cooking or enjoy cooking are the ones who will probably know what these foods are. So are you ready? Yes? I'm going to give you about 10 more seconds if you're really slow like, I don't want to do it, but then you're like, oh, why not? All right, so 10 more seconds. Are you ready? 
So this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to right now ask 10 quick questions and you need to respond. The first question is this. Okay. We, we are waiting. All correct answers give max points. Here we go. Ginger is a spice, true or false? Okay, I think we're giving you too much time. Okay, everyone voted. The answer is true. Those 44 of you, you just enjoy eating ginger. That's all I know, okay? Question number two. Are you ready? Almonds are seeds, not nuts. True or false? Oh, Lord. Okay. Uh, let me just say this. We are dealing with college students, and many of you do not cook, so. It is a seed. Next. Which part of the pig does bacon come from? I don't know if there's choices. No, no choices? It is the belly of the pig. Every Korean should get this, all right, if you're Korean. Samgyeopsal, okay? Next. Which of these is a common type used for, of oil for cooking, Chinese cooking? Okay. I had to stick something, I had to stick something, olive oil, what's going on there? And all the coconut oil is from the guys from Malaysia, all right, come on now. Okay, next question. Let's look, let's look at the next question here. Which country does the superfood Thai berries come from? Spain, Brazil, Turkey, Vietnam. All right. Not bad. Not bad. Next question. What cooking technique involves submerging partly, partly cooked food in ice water to stop the cooking process? Blanching, poaching, simmering, braising. If you know this, you're truly a good cook. Blanching, very good. Okay, those of you got it, you, you guys know. All right, a couple more questions. Al Dante, what does it mean? To the tooth, just about right, the good stuff, almost tough. And the answer is to the tooth. 
All right, couple more questions here. Number nine. Canola oil is a vegetable oil made from what? Corn, sunflower, safflower, and raspberry. Please don't say corn, okay? If it did, it's too late. And the answer is? Absolutely. Okay, the last question. This should be easy. I had to represent Korea, all right? So there we go. As you know, some of these things are key ingredients in different foods that we eat. My question to you is this. Do you know what the key ingredient is to your Christian faith? I think many of us will say, well, Christ or Jesus, and you're not wrong. But I want you to understand it from a bigger perspective. If there's a key ingredient or key ingredients, what would it be to describe our Christian faith? That's why for the next five weeks, we're going to cover this series called Sola. The, the word Sola comes from the Latin word alone or only. And I'm going to give a little history behind this so that you can understand why we're covering this and why this is important. Because it comes from that Latin word only or alone, we're going to cover these five solas that really lay the foundation for our faith. These are the essentials or the key ingredients or the convictions of this Christian faith that we believe that we have put our faith in. So the first week, which is today, we're going to cover sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. We believe that the Bible, God's Word alone, is our highest authority. So we're going to talk about that, the Word of God. The second one, the next week, we're going to talk about Esola Fide, which means faith alone. We believe that we are saved by faith through Jesus Christ, faith alone in Jesus Christ. And then the third week, we're going to cover Sola Gratia, which means grace alone. We believe that Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. The fourth week, we're going to talk about Solus Christus, which means Christ alone. We believe that Jesus Christ alone is the one who can save us. And then the fifth is Soli Dio Gloria. Some of you might have heard that phrase before. It means to the glory of God alone or to God be the glory alone. These five solas are very important because they are the foundation of our salvation, as well as the motivation to why we live our Christian life. We need to understand these five solas because it came out of the Protestant Reformation, which happened in the 16th century. And I'm going to try to explain a little bit, not go too much into history, but enough so that you can understand. The Protestant Reformation was started by Martin Luther and other reformers such as John Calvin. And what they did was they started this reformation because they wanted to address the corruption that they saw in the Catholic Church. 
Now, we're not here to bash on the Catholic Church, but back then in the 16th century, there were some problems. Some of the issues that came forth was that the Catholic Church, which was started by Jesus and the Apostle Peter, after several centuries, what began to happen was they strayed away from the basic truth of the Christian message that Jesus Christ taught. And this is the reason why Martin Luther, one of the reformers, he saw so much of this corruption in the institution of the church that one of the issues that he addresses, address, addressed was indulgences. Now, some of you who have at least some bit of a history, you'll understand. The indulgences were when people would come and they would pay money for their sins or the punishment to be taken away. And so you could already tell it was a, it was a system ripe for corruption. So if you want your sins forgiven, you will go to the Catholic Church and you will pay money to have your sins forgiven. It wasn't only that, but more particularly, it was a teaching on salvation. That was a little bit skewed. Why? Because instead of Christ alone putting our faith in Christ, what they did was they made it about works, about what you did, that you have to earn your salvation. And this is why Martin Luther, in October 31st, in 1517, what he did was he went into the Catholic Church and he nailed 95 theses. These are things that he has laid forth. And you'll see a picture here of a painting that depicts what happened. And so he went and he nailed these 95 theses about the reasons why that he cannot, in good conscience, continue supporting the Catholic Church. From his actions, we see that many things transpired afterwards. People were able to get access to the Bible. Back then, only the priests were the ones who would read off the scriptures. Now everyone, because also the printing press was invented. And so because of that, people had access to the Bible. You didn't have to be a priest to read the Word of God. But every single person can read the Bible in their own language and understand it. Another thing that happened was that this idea of salvation came by faith alone in Christ alone. That it wasn't something you earned, something that you deserved, but it was truly given to us by the grace of God. Another thing that you have to understand in these five solas of the Reformation, many of the Protestant denominations got started, such as the Lutherans and Presbyterians and the Baptists, all the different denominations that you see now got started out of this Reformation. And so today I want to talk about sola, sola scriptura, which means scripture alone, which means there's a conviction that we have that God's word is inspired and that it is inerrant, it is sufficient, and that it has the final authority for all of God's people. And the reason why we're starting it with this is because if you do not have the scripture as the foundation, everything else we'll talk about. Christ alone, faith alone, any of these things will not be able to stand unless we have the Word of God as our foundation. I love what Matthew Barnett said in his book, God's Word Alone. He writes this, Sola Scriptura means that Scripture alone is our final authority. Authority is a bad word in our day of rugged individualism. But the Bible is all about authority. In fact, sola scriptura means that the Bible is our chief, supreme, and ultimate authority. 
I thought he hit it really well when he said that we live in a generation where we, it's all about individualism. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It feeds this narcissism, not only the social media, but it feeds this narcissism that is prevalent in the church and in the world. And so what he's simply saying is it doesn't matter what you think. Bottom line is that the Word of God is the ultimate authority. So whatever the Word of God says, that is what God says, and that is what we ought to obey. Now, I'm gonna, some of you are coming through the invitation of your friends, or maybe you came last week, and for you to swallow or to receive that, it's really difficult. And if you will allow me in the next 30 minutes or so to try to explain why I believe the Word of God is the only authority that we have and that we have to be called into account of how we live our lives according to what the Word of God says. It is very, very important. So the one thing that I want us to remember is simply this. God's Word changes us inwardly so that we can change outwardly. That it is His Word that transforms us deep within our hearts and so that then we could begin to see transformation or change outwardly. A lot of times we do it backwards. We try to change outwardly, behavior modification. And that's why our hearts never change. But if you have your heart transformed by the Word of God, everything you do, the way you live your life will be completely flipped upside down. You will have a new king, a new person that you will follow, a new allegiance that you will give your whole life to, and that is Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, I want to talk about two things regarding God's Word that we have to remember if we're talking about change and how it changes us inwardly so that we can change outwardly. The first thing is this. God's Word is inspired. It's very simple. God's Word is inspired. I want us to just think about this for a moment. As I will talk about this whole inspiration of the Word of God, the thought that came to my mind is when we think about the Bible, how many of us in this room cherish it? How many of us actually read it? Now, because of just technology, we have a Bible on our phones. But there was a time when there was no Bible on our phones. And so we had to have Bibles that are in print. And the sad thing was that there were many, many people who will call themselves Christian who have two or three Bibles. But the problem was that they would never read it. While at the same time, there were many people around the world that did not have access to a Bible, which simply meant that they weren't able to have one in their hands. So all they did was try to listen to what people are saying, or they would memorize. One thing that I heard that was just fascinating is that they would take one Bible amongst the whole congregation, the house church, and they will rip a page, and what they will do is just memorize that page. Next week, when they come together, they will just swap the pages so that they could actually then memorize the next page. This is how they cherish the Bible, because they didn't have access to it. Some of you might have seen this before. This was back in the 90s when the phones and everything were just developing, and so the pixels of it is not really great. But this is where some missionary came 
and went to China and brought a suitcase load of Bibles to a house church. And I want you to see their response. And as you're watching that, I want you to compare it to, do we have a love for the Word of God like these people? Because they were so famished because they did not have Bibles, their own personal Bibles for themselves. I want, let's watch this together, shall we? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? For many of us, that is not a response. Because what we need in our minds is a promotion, is that good GPA, that relationship, that external thing that somehow we think is going to satisfy us. But what they understood, because they didn't have much, and they were persecuted, was that they understood they needed the Word of God more than anything else. I'm not here trying to make you feel guilty, but I want you to evaluate your life. To think about where you are when it comes to the Word of God. Do you have this sense of reverence? This sense of hunger? This sense of desire? That if this is truly the Word of the living God, the eternal God, the infinite God who loves us unconditionally, it's His spoken Word that He has put it into print and we it's a love letter from him that we want to read and be able to understand his heart i don't know about you but when i see things like this it puts me to shame realizing that even though i look at the bible constantly and even preparing a message or a talk or whatever it may be i don't have that kind of desire that i see in them do you really believe it's about Scripture alone? That's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaks to Timothy very clearly about the importance of the Word of God. I'm going to go ahead and read the first part of verse 16. And the verses will be up there. It says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God. I want to stop there and I want to talk about this. All scripture is breathed out by God. The phrase breathed out by God can be translated as inspired by God or filled with the breath of God. I want you to think about that. That the word of God, it has the breath of God in it. In the New King James Version, it says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The NIV says all scripture is God breathed. The word God breathed has this idea. This will help us to understand. It has this idea. If you study that word, it has this idea of a ship or like a boat that has a sail hoisted. And the wind is blowing upon it and it helps it to direct it and to move. That's the same word when we see here God breathed or inspired by God. That God used people with a pen and breathe or allow the Holy Spirit for them to be inspired to write the Word of God. This addresses the source of where Scripture came from. So once again, though it was written by people, they were just instruments because God was the source 
of the inspiration. And they just wrote what God inspired them to write. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Listen to what it says and read the yellow section with me. It says this. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy, come on, say this, never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were what? Carried along by the Spirit. Just like that boat being carried along by the wind that blows. That is what Peter is trying to say. Let me give you a couple of different translations of verse 21, and it will help you to understand it better. It says, for no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Being moved. The contemporary English version says this, or verse 21. The prophets did not think these things up on their own, but they were what? Guided by the Holy Spirit of God. They were guided. They were just mere instruments, but God was breathing in them, inspiring them to write some of these things. So due to the fact that the Word of God was inspired or breathed by God or breathed out by God, you, you have to believe several things. The first thing is this, that the Word of God, it is inerrant. What that simply means is that there are no errors in the Word of God. Why? Because God does not lie, nor is He a God who will say something and take it back. He's a God of truth. Let me give you some verses to help you to understand that. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, the New Living Translation says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has, has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? John chapter 17, verse 17b in the ESV says, your word is what? Truth. I want to pause here and just kind of draw from history. Because some of us can still sit there a little bit skeptical and say, well, does that mean that there's no errors? There might be some apparent errors. It looks like it. Let me speak to some of us who are thinking that. I think it's, it's an incredible thing when you think about the Word of God. That it was inspired by God, inerrant. That it was written, the New Testament was written in a period of roughly from 45 A.D. all the way to 90 A.D. So within these 45 years, the Word of God was, the New Testament was written. And the thing that's really more fascinating is that there were Greek texts, fragments. Fragments means there were like parchments where they were right, but there were fragments of that which dated all the way back to 120 through 150 A.D. Now, what does that mean? That means that the text that we have today, it is only about 35 to 100 years after the originals were written by some of these New Testament authors. Now, once again, some of you will still say, what's the big deal of that? Let me put it in perspective so that you can understand why it's so powerful to know that the Word of God, it's only about 35 to 100 years since the original manuscripts. To put it in perspective, some of the most famous writings that I don't think anybody in this room will ever doubt. You know why? Because you, you had to read it for your English class. You studied it in school. And these books that many of you believe that were written by certain people 
you have no doubt about it. But I'm going to tell you and argue this. The Bible has more proof than some of these books that you trust so much. Let me put it this way. Plato, the time span from the original to a copy that they discovered, it was about 1,200 years apart. And they only have seven copies. Caesar, who wrote, and there's not, from the original to the next copy, it was 900 years apart. And there's only 10 copies. Aristotle, it was, only, it was about 1,400 years apart from the original to a copy of it. So almost a whole 1,400 years and they only have 49 copies. Homer Iliad, how many of you read that? Okay, math and science. Okay, I got, I got it, I got it. This will be the closest from the original writings of Homer, and you will notice it's 500 years, and there's 643 copies. But I want to share with you now of the New Testament. It's 35 to 100 years from the original to the copy. And guess how many there are? 5,600 copies. Now, some of you are sitting there like, what are all these numbers? What's the big deal? Once again, the powerful fact that you need to understand is that we have close to 5,000 to 6,000 New Testament Greek manuscripts existing today. Which means that Homer Iliad, which many of you have read and you believe that it is to be true, this classical work, which has the most manuscript of any discovery regarding some of these secular writings, but it still falls short compared to the New Testament. Not only that, it highlights that none of these classic works can be verified with high certainty in terms of the accuracy to the original writings. Let me explain, and this will make sense to you. The Homer Iliad, so the Homer who wrote it, and then many years later, they found a copy of it. What they did was they compared it from the original to a copy, and what they found out, it was 95% accurate, which is pretty good. That means that whatever we have today of Homer Iliad, it is pretty accurate to the original author. But I want you to check this out. But in the New Testament, it is 99.5% accurate. And the reason why it is important that you highlight or I highlight or we understand that there are 5,000 to 6,000 copies of this with a 99.5% accuracy, what that simply means is that when you look at every single one of these 5,000 to 6,000 texts and you compare it to the original and having a 99.5%, that means that whatever we have today in that span of 35 years to 100 years, that means that it is very close to the original authors who were inspired by God. The more copies you have, and the more similar it is to the original and accuracy of it, that means that it is inerrant. Now, of course, there's some transcribal errors. They might miss a, a, a comma here or they might miss a word here. 
but it's 99.5% accurate to the original text that were written by these disciples and many other people as they were inspired by God. So if you believe in Homer Iliad and you believe in some of the writings of Aristotle and some of these other classic works, I just want you to understand that it doesn't even come close to the proof that the Word of God was inspired by God. Now let me put it in a different way. Not only is it inerrant, but it's infallible. Now the word infallible means that it does not fail. Therefore, it is dependable. The idea of infallibility is rooted in the very nature of God who is faithful and who is dependable and everything that he does is perfect. Let me give you a Bible verse to help you to understand that. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, in the New Living Translation, read the yellow section with me. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is what? A faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? That everything that he does is perfect. That he's fair and just. This is the reason why he is dependable. Can I challenge you when you think about some of the closest people in your life? Why do you call them dependable? It's probably they have a consistent thing about them that they do. What they say and what they do is consistent. When they say, I'll be there or I'll take care of this, they have done it over and over again. They have not failed. That's why some people are more dependable than other people. They are faithful. But when you think about God who is perfect, He has never failed. So when you think about the Word of God that's not only inerrant, but the Word of God is infallible, which is God's Word that He has spoken, that means that we could trust it. And what it says is true. It's dependable. Some of you are still sitting there, well, how is that so? Let me explain it this way. And just try to use your imagination for a moment. Why is the Bible so infallible and it will never fail? Let me put it this way. That Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it has been written over 1,500 year period. That's a long time. And it has been written over 40 generations by over 40 different authors from every walk of life, from kings to peasants to philosophers, fishermen, poets, scholars, and even a doctor, a physician, as you know, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. It was written in three different continents. It covers over a hundred different subjects. And guess what? The central theme that flows together in every single one of these 66 books in the Bible it does not contradict itself. Let me put it in another way so that you can understand the magnitude of just, it's going to blow your mind. You have to believe that this Bible could not have been brought by any human means or human will as we read before. The way I'm going to illustrate this is right now, Imagine with me if I asked every single one of you, I don't know how many people are here, but every single one of you to write something, to write a paragraph of something. 
And after you write it in about three, four minutes, we collect it all. And after we collect it all, we read each one of them and we compare. And then lo and behold, how many of you in this room believe we're going to write about the same thing? Think about that for a moment. Some of you are like, I'm depressed. It was a bad week. Some of you are going to be like, it's an awesome day. I cannot wait until what's going to happen later on today. Because I wore blue. Some of you have been writing about other things. So I want you to think about that. Over 40 different authors, over 40 generations, all wrote about this common theme about a Messiah who is to come, who is going to save the world. It's pointing to this new king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It was written by people who had all different backgrounds, over three different continents, and they all wrote on that central theme about Jesus Christ. That is not something a human being can do. It is the work of God. Can I get a good amen to that? When you really begin to study not only history, but you begin to understand the severity or just the depth of this understanding that the Word of God not only is inspired, it is inerrant, and it is infallible, you realize, wow, no wonder this Word has the ultimate authority. With the Bible with the sense of unity that goes all the way from Old Testament to New Testament, referring to this Messiah that's coming. Even Jesus, when he came, what did he say? Today in your hearing, the word has been fulfilled. Because he knew that everything that the Old Testament prophets and authors wrote about was about this king. That was him. And he used the Old Testament to even do his teaching. Did you know that the Bible is the best-selling book? Amen. It is the number one book being sold in the world today, this very moment. It has been translated over 1,000 languages, which is about 90% of the world's population. All throughout history, people have tried to destroy the Bible, but the Bible still remains. The Bible is the only book that can transform, not your advanced math class or your advanced literature reading. It'll transform you by putting you to sleep. But I'm telling you right now, there is no other book in the world that can transform a person's life and give hope and to give meaning and a sense of significance to help them to understand God's heart. That's why Mark chapter 13 verse 31 says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. When we understand that God's word is inspired and errant and infallible, it gives us this assurance where we could put all of our hope, all of our trust, because it is trustworthy, because God is trustworthy. That's why the phrase sola scriptura, it is this conviction that the scripture alone is inspired by God and has the final authority for believers. Matthew Barnett, once again in his book, God's Word Alone, writes this, Only Scripture, sola scriptura, is God-inspired Word, is our inerrant, sufficient, and final authority for the church. How about us this morning? Are you convinced that the Bible is the Word of God? That it can actually speak to us? It's God speaking to you?
when you read the Bible, do you expect God to change you? Do you expect God to say something to you? Speak into whatever situation you're facing right now. Instead of trying to seek out after counselors or other people that the Word of God can actually speak to you. Do you believe that it can transform your lives? If you do, you will read it. You will study it. God's Word is inspired. Let me close with the second point. God's Word is not only inspired, but God's Word is impactful. That God's Word is impactful. I'm going to read verse 16b through verse 17. Listen to what the Word of God says. Let me just read it from the beginning again. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God will be complete, equipped for every good work. I want to break that down a little bit to help us understand how it, it could impact us. Now the Apostle Paul says not only is the scripture, Scriptures inspired by God, but there are two other things that we have to consider. Here are the two things. The first thing is this. He wants us to consider the benefit. What are the benefits of the Word of God? The Apostle Paul uses the word profitable. That word can be translate, translated as useful. So he says all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it is profitable or it is useful. And the question now becomes, what is it useful for? I want to read it in the New Living Translation so that you can get a little bit of a, a preview of what the benefits are. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us, come on, say this, what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So those are the four things that you benefit from the Word of God and it impacts us. The first one is for teaching. The benefit here is that you're able to know doctrine. You're able to know who God is. You're able to know who you are through the Word of God. There are many of you who don't know your identity in Christ. There are many of you who have this warped concept of who God is. And oftentimes, your relationship with God is directly related to how you understand who God is. There are times when Satan will put lies in your mind. There are times from your experiences, you think that God is like that. That God the Father is like this harsh God who then judges you, just like your father did. So until you begin to understand the Word of God and allow it to speak to you, those things will not change. Your heart will not change. That's why the word, not only being inspired, it has the power to impact your life if you read it and allow it to speak to you. It's instructing people to God's truth. That's why the word of God is useful for teaching. Not just in the pulpit, but when you are in life group and you're studying the Bible together, in many ways you're teaching each other. In the same way, if there are people that you're trying to express different things to and help them to understand more of who God is, you got to use Scripture. Many of you try to use experience, which is not wrong. Listen to me carefully. 
Some of you use your experience. Oh, yeah, when I went to that one retreat, God really spoke to me. He moved. I felt something. It was like sensation, you know. And it's like, I, I, I'm not feeling this thing. You know, you guys are, I'm feeling this thing. Can I just say something to you? There's nothing wrong with personal testimony and what you felt. But if we really believe that the Word of God is profitable or useful for teaching, which helps us to then know God and to know ourselves, then you have to use the Word of God. That's why every single Sunday I'm preaching from the Word of God unapologetically, even though it's offensive at times. I could do a song and dance, I don't know, a song, dance, entertain you. But we use the Word of God to convict you of your sins, as we talked about earlier, of what you're doing wrong and what God wants you to do that is right. That's why it's important that the Word of God is central to everything that we do. Some of you are getting discipled. Some of you are discipling. Some of you, this is your LCG. Hey, what's up? How you doing, man? You doing okay? Yeah, it's been a rough time. Oh, really? Oh, man, it's been tough for me too. And that's it. It's just a lunch date with the LCG. Then you walk out of there feeling a little bit better, like, but then literally one hour into it, you're still back to where you were. When was the last time in your life change group, which are our accountability groups, that you sat in a cafe or sat over a in a restaurant, over a table, over your meal, and you're sharing, and then now you are sharing God's Word. That's why we're trying to encourage you to memorize Scripture. Even just once a week. So when you do LCG once a week, that verse that you memorize, you can say, guess what? I memorized this verse. Let me share it with you. I'm wondering what would happen to some of our lives if we would speak to one another with the Word of God, especially when someone's like, man, I'm feeling really depressed, that you speak the Word of God to that person's situation. You don't judge them. You love them, but you speak truth in love. What if somebody's gossiping? They're saying, oh my God, did you hear about this? And then you speak the Word of God to them. Convict them that gossiping is a sin. Not in a judgmental way, not in a self-righteous way, but you're sharing, these are things that I'm learning. Because we were the best gossipers. But God's convicted me that that is not really honoring to him. Some people who are struggling with their family, with their parents. Maybe decisions in life, what to do, what, which direction to take. Do you know these verses to be able to speak truth into their lives so that when you leave that LCG, after you pray, that you will be encouraged and that person will be encouraged because no longer it's your own wisdom, your own words, but it's the Word of God that is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. So it's useful for teaching. It's also useful for rebuking. Hello? The word rebuke is known as reproof, which has this idea or this connotation of to expose. Come on, Jesus. Or to convict. The reason why so many of us are not changing is no one is helping you to see that pride in your life. No one's helping you to see that insecurity that every single time you're in a situation, instead of responding with being secure in Christ, you always respond in your insecurity. 
That's why no one likes you. That's why you're like, oh, well, why is that? Why am I? Because no one loved you enough. No one knows scripture enough to speak truth into your life through the word of God and what it says. So not only is it profitable or useful for teaching, but it's also profitable and useful for rebuking. Now, you understand, all of us hopefully understand, re rebuke without love leads to what? Total rebellion. No one wants to be around people who are just going to rebuke them. You need that relationship and the truth, and that will lead to life change. Some of you think that you're good friends. No, you're not. I'm going to just be straight up with you. If you did not, and, and once in your lifetime with your friendship with this person, you wanted to kill them, then they're, they're, they're not your friend. There should be a time in your friendship where you wanted to put another hole somewhere in their body. Because that shows you that person loved you enough or loves you enough to speak truth to you that bothers you. Some of you in this room have friendships that are the worst types of friendship. You guys are just eating buddies from Malaysia. You guys are just shopping buddies from Indonesia. Sorry, I went to some of these countries recently. Because I hung around with some Malaysians in Singapore, and they just love eating. I gained at least two kgs. The Lord have mercy. And I ended up talking to some millionaires in Indonesia, and they had a lot of stuff. What I'm trying to say is this. Some of you have friendships that are so shallow that it's not going to last for the test, test of time. It will not. Good friends will speak truth to that person and even hurt them. Hurt them, not purposefully, but those words, because it's the word of God, will hurt them so that they will be provoked into action because they're being rebuked by the Spirit of God. They're being exposed so the Spirit of God can convict. That's why there are times when you rebuke someone in private, but there are also times when we are called to do it publicly. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20, listen to what it says. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. This is not my words. That sounds very much like Pastor says. No, this is the word of God. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. So that the rest may stand in fear. So that other people will know that is not what you're supposed to do as a Christ follower. So it is useful for teaching, rebuking, and then correcting. The word correction means setting one right. Let me explain that a little bit. Because it's, it's an awkward phrasing. But when you study that word, it's important. Because this word correction has this idea of instructing or educating. And it's the purpose for restoring to uprightness or to the original condition. This is your destiny. This is what God created you to do. So that when the word of God comes and it rebukes you and it trains you or teaches you and then it corrects you, it helps you to be the person that you're supposed to be. Think about some of these plants when they tie these different pieces of wood so that it'll grow straight. 
like correcting is when you should be going a certain way, but because of whatever sin, you're going in a different direction. And so when the word of God comes, it corrects your path so you can go on the path that God wants you to go on to. So once again, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and here's the last one, for training. That's why the word of God, the, the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God, it is profitable for training. The word training in this context, it's about raising a child and guiding them of how to live their lives. That word is so important because you'll see it throughout scripture. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6, it says this, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Training means constantly repeating yourself. Training means being able to spot out a teaching moment and to help them to understand that when you continue to respond that way, it's going to harm you and it's not going to be good for you. Good parents know how to train their child. And oftentimes it goes through repetition. It goes through correction. It goes through sometimes rebuking. A good discipler, a good leader knows how to do these things because it is not their own opinions, but it's through the word of God. So once again, the Word of God is impactful because there are some benefits of it that it is going to teach you, rebuke you, it's going to correct you, and it's going to train you. The second thing, as I mentioned, why it is so impactful is because of the byproduct. Not only the benefits, but I want you to understand the byproducts of the Word of God, what happens when it goes into a person's life. You will notice here, and I want to read it again so that we could remember this. Verse 17, it says that the man of God or the person of God or the child of God, however you want to look at it, because it's not just man being a, a male, but it's also women included, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the byproduct of allowing the word of God, the infallible, inspired, and inerrant word of God, to allow it to do its work as you see some of the benefits of it, now what's going to happen is this. It will cause us to be prepared. The word complete can be translated as perfect or in fit condition or mature. So that the child of God or the man of God or the woman of God can be in fit condition so that they could be mature. Why is that important? Because God is preparing you for something. When I think about my life, I realize everything that I went through in my life, everything, it all had a purpose. Even when I was in fifth grade, 10 years old, in my neighborhood, I was called Boss Kim. Because we had a little gang with my brother and a couple other people, one Jewish guy, two Chinese people, you know, and one Korean guy. We were a gang. And I was a really shy kid, I don't know, but like that experience helped me to learn some leadership principles. We made a clubhouse out of like a refrigerator cardboard box. That was our, we worked on that, that was our place to hang out. Being a little bit industrious. Now that's just a small little example from a long time, but when I think about all the different times I was able to lead. All the different things that God was working on my heart so that I could lead to the place that I had to lead at that moment. 
And even after being a church planter, not only back in 1996, and then also in 2009 in Indonesia, and then also now in 2015, God used those church planting experiences now for me to help be a core group of people that I am helping with these webinars to train up in all the 48 countries in Asia. Because I've experienced church planting. What I'm trying to say is this. That's my story, but some of you have your own stories. Things that you went through. The reason why you're so passionate about something in your life, I bet you it's because it's an experience that you went through. When you have a passion for working with women who are abused, it's because you probably saw your mom being abused or you yourself was abused. When you have a heart for those who are poor or marginalized, it's because maybe partly you've experienced that growing up with your family. You didn't have much. There are certain people groups that God places in your heart. That's why I've always been telling people, whenever I meet an African, anyone from anywhere from Africa, anywhere, it doesn't matter. Like my heart just instantly goes to them. Do you know why? Because I'm from Southside, what's up? No. Do you know why? My first missions project in 1989, some of you weren't born, I understand. Back in 1989 was to Kenya, Africa. That was my first mission experience, and God met me in such a powerful way. I cannot erase it from my memory. I cannot erase it from my life. It impacted me so much that it was after that missions project, I said, God, I'm going to give my rest of my life to missions. That's why whenever I see someone from an African country, like it brings back warm memories of that experience. What I'm trying to tell you right now is this. That the word of God, as it begins to teach you, rebuke you, correct you, and train you, what it's trying to do is it's trying to prepare you for something that God wants to do in your life and in this world. Do you believe that? Can I get a good amen? He's preparing you. And I'm wondering how many of us are missing the very thing that God is trying to prepare us for because we're not reading the word of God. The inspired, inerrant, and in, infallible, the dependable Word of God. Not only will it prepare us, but we'll see here we will be equipped. That word equipped means to be furnished. I thought that was a very cool word. How many of you guys love Airbnbs? Come on, raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. Okay, some of you don't want to confess. But anyway, it's awesome, isn't it? It's already furnished, depending on your budget. I was going to put up some pictures, but I said, I'll ah, forget it. Think about the Airbnb, especially if you get a real nice one. And that's what we do when I hang out with some of my, my five other friends. That we, have. we have a group that called Kadad, and we've been meeting every single year just all over the world, wherever we are. They came in 2000, I believe, 18, when they came to Hong Kong, and we just had our summit here. But every year we go somewhere. This year we're going to go to Connecticut because that's one of the, our friends. He's pastoring in this church there, in one of the largest churches in the Hartford area, the Connecticut area. And it's amazing because there's one person who's always in charge of getting the Airbnb. And every single time, he hits a jackpot. Jackpot. Six bedrooms. Seven bedrooms. Like six bathrooms. We're like, ah, oh, yes. There's a pool in the back. It's cheaper than any hotel. I'm like, you're the man. And you will continue to do this for us. You know, I'm just like amazed. 
And the reason why some of these Airbnbs are so nice is because they're already furnished. It is equipped with even a game room. So why is it that Paul uses that same word? That God, all scripture is God breathed. He breathed out into this word. And it's profitable for teaching, rebuking or reproof, for correction or correcting, and for training. So that the child of God can be what? Thoroughly equipped, furnished with everything that you need to do His will. That's why the Word of God is so powerful. The more you read it, the more you understand it, what it shows is that God is using this Word to prepare you and to furnish you, to equip you so that you can do every good work that He has set before you. The problem with some of us in this room is that we don't have the Word of God in us. You don't even touch the Bible. The last soap, if I had to scroll through some of these chats, it's been about a month that you read the Word of God. But pastor, do I always have to write it in? Well, then show me that you did it. That is the only way that we will be able to, in that group, know that you're reading it and you're getting something out of it. I don't care if you put it in the chat. I don't care if you record it. I don't care if you take a picture, a video, and you, you could do a mime. You know, you, you could do all that stuff, and you're like, I'm doing it, Pastor. This is what I learned. Trust in God. I mean, you could do a mime. I don't care what you do, but we got to know that you are actually reading the Word of God. So that we could encourage one another. We could spur on one another. We could challenge one another. We could train one another. We could teach one another. We could correct one another. We can reprove or rebuke one another. No wonder the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. You're not able to do that because you don't have the word of God in your life. Some of you go into a fight, you go into a, a, a sword fight, and you bring your butter knife. Some of you go into a, a gun fight, and you bring your water gun. Beep, 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 beep. And you're getting demolished. That's why you're not able to do the things that you are called to do and what he has destined for you to do. Because you're not furnished, you're not well equipped, you're not prepared. What would happen if we allow the word of God that's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God is so much a part of who we are, our language, our thoughts, the things in our hearts. We cherish the Word like we saw. What would happen, the things that He is calling you to do? You'll be more effective. I believe you're going to see so much more fruit. There will be impact like never seen before. Some of you, I want to speak to you who are leaders in this room. Some of you are so busy doing a lot of stuff, but you don't even spend time with God. You don't have the Word of God in you. What is it that you're giving to your members? What? No wonder you get frustrated easily. No wonder it's so easy to be impatient. If you're leading, you got to lead well with the Word of God. 
Because you're hungering for God. You're hungering for His Word. So those who follow after you, they will know what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Some of you who are going to work, just by trying to be a good Christian, it's not going to bring people into a relationship with Christ. It has to be God's work. And when you do speak to them, you don't have to say, well, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Think of like, Roman who? All you have to say is, do you know this God who loves you so much that nothing's going to separate you from his love? You can go to the highest places, the deepest depths. His love will always be there. It could be angels, demons, nothing. Nothing's going to be able to separate you from his love. I know that verse, Pastor. That's Romans chapter 8, you know. No. You don't have to be all the spiritual stuff, but you just speak the truth into the heart of that person and see their life completely be transformed. Because it's not your words, but it's the word of God. He's going to thoroughly equip us for every good work. Listen to, I love these different translations. Let me, let me just try to close with this. The different translation of verse 17, the voice translation says this, so that God's people may be, come on, say this, up to the task ahead. And have all that they need to accomplish every good work. Man, the task that is ahead of us, we need God's words to strengthen us. The expanded Bible says this, using scripture so that the person who serves God, God's person, will be what? Capable and competent. Some of you are trying to be capable and competent in your own wisdom and your own strength, and you're failing miserably. But if you have the word of God in you, it says here, you will be capable and competent to do whatever it is that he has called you to do. Having all that is needed, fully equipped to do every good work. Here's the Amplified Version. It says this, so that the man of God may be complete and what? Proficient, outfitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. The reason why this is so important is because this is really the gospel. Sola Scriptura is... Scripture alone. Do you know why? Because in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word is God. That word, logos, is referring to Jesus. So the more you understand the Word, the more you will understand Jesus who loves you in spite of all the things that you've messed up in. The more you begin to study the word, the more you're studying Jesus. Because in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And if you allow that word to go into your heart, as you study it, memorize it, read it, you are allowing Jesus to come into your life in that chaos, in that situation, whatever it may be, if you're feeling overwhelmed. Can you imagine every single morning that you're in his presence, you're reading the word, and you're inviting Jesus in? That's what the word of God can do. That's why the one thing, once again, is God's word changes us inwardly so that we can change outwardly. Can I give us a couple things to think about and we'll close with this. 
next steps. And I say next steps because sometimes we leave here and we just totally forget. But if you will just apply some of these things, the Word of God that's good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, you will see so much benefit. You're going to be thoroughly trained and equipped, well-fitted, furnished to do His will. The first thing is this. Be disciplined to read the Word of God. I don't need you to raise your hand. I just want you to listen to me. This coming week, here's my challenge to you. Every single day, or as much as you can, let's try to do so. Let's try to read the Word of God. Even if you can't do so because of various reasons, then at least speak what you learn and send it over to that friend or that accountability partner, whoever it may be. Just make a commitment to God. I'm going to be disciplined this week so that I can read the Word of God. The second thing is this. Be discerning with God's Word. Some of you have to make some important decisions. Some of you are at a crossroad in your life. And the Word of God will guide you. How do I know that? Because it says so in Psalm 119. Verse 105. What does it say? Your Word is what? A lamp unto my feet. Isn't that awesome? When things are so dark, you can't really see what's ahead of you. You don't know what decision to make. It says the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet. And it's going to be a light for the path before me. I love how the message translation translates that. By your words, I can see where I'm going. They throw a beam of light on my dark path. Get the Word of God in you so that when you have to discern and make some decisions, you'll be making one that honors God and loves people. Last thing is this. Be dependent on God's Word. Things are going to be hard. You're going to face a lot of difficulties in your life. Trust me, it's not guaranteed you're going to have an easy life. But when things get hard, when you start struggling with depression or when you start struggling with anxiety, when you start struggling with your mental health, when you start struggling with trusting in God because you don't know where the provisions are going to come from, allow the Word of God to so deeply be embedded in you so that you'll be well-equipped, thoroughly equipped to be competent and proficient for that task that is before you, for that giant that you have to face. Because it is nothing compared to the Word of God. How do I know that? Because the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews talks about that. The word of God is sharper than what? Any double-edged sword. It cuts into the bones, the marrows, every part of us. It cuts deep. And so that sword, the word of God in your hands, you could slay any giant. But that's the problem. We have this incredible word of God that's inerrant, inspired, infallible, and we just lay it there and we do nothing. And all we do is complain. All we do is feel hopeless. All we do is just have a pity party. When we should be warriors for Jesus, pick up that sword. Pick it up and to be able to slay whatever's in front of you because God is with us. Because He's the one who makes us brave. He's the one who gives us the courage and the confidence to be able to go forth. Because God, you said so in your word. That's why I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in you. I want to share just a couple minute video about this guy named Mason. 
This guy went through a lot of stages of depression and actually led to almost thoughts of suicide. I'm just wondering if some of us in this room, you came here this morning and that's what you were thinking about even last night and this morning. And I want you to listen to his story because he's not much of a reader. But he heard the word of God and it impacted him and changed his life. So once again, you don't have to read it. You can just hear it and it can change you. Let's watch this and afterwards we'll just respond in prayer and worship to God. Let's watch it together, shall we? together. That's just one story of a person's life that has been impacted by the Word of God. Why? Because it's, it's inspired by God. And unless God's Word changes you inwardly, you're not going to change outwardly. I know that for sure. If you try, it will just be behavior modification. It might last for a month, a half a year, maybe a year at the best, but after a while, you're going to get tired. I don't know what it is that you're facing this morning, but I know every single Sunday, there's probably a good handful of people struggling with a lot of different struggles. And as I shared, and this is my gentle encouragement to you, this week, read the Bible, or just like this person, listen to the Bible. You could actually, on that Bible app, you could push play, and it will, it will read the Word of God to you. Do this every single day for the next seven days, and we'll see you here next Sunday, and see if it does not impact you. I look at our church, and I see all these people who I feel like God wants to thoroughly equip, prepare for every good work in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your schools. But we're bringing a butter knife to the sword fight. And we're getting demolished. We're getting slain. I'm wondering if we would take this word of God, come boldly, believe what it says, and to be able to then live it, trusting in His promises. Our church will be unstoppable. You will be unstoppable. The things that He wants to do in you, sky's the limit, because He's an infinite God. Let's commit to the Word of God. Sola Scriptura, which is Scripture alone. That is the foundation in which I build everything else on. Is the Word of God. I pray that there will be hunger for that Word. So Lord, I pray this coming week, help us to be dependent. To be dependent on You through the Word of God. To be disciplined enough to read the Word of God. Your words. That is the greatest book in the whole wide world. No other book can claim what it claims. No other book can do what it says it can do. But it will change us, transform us. 
So Lord, help us to use a word to discern your heart this coming week. Decisions we have to make, the things that you're speaking to us about may be consistent with your word and causing us to hunger and thirst for you and for righteousness. I pray for our church that we'll be a church solid, just built in a solid way on the word of God. That is our ultimate authority. Our final authority is your word. Not a pastor's word, not a leader's word, not a friend's word, but your word. Oh, Holy Spirit, just like you breathe on the valley of these dry bones. Come, Holy Spirit, breathe once again life into us with your word. We commit in reading your word, and we're going to wait and see what you will do. I'm going to just ask us right now, just between you and God, will you pray and ask him, for His Word to come into your life in your situation, whatever it may be. One encouragement, a thought that just came to my mind, if some of you are going through different things, just Google it and say, a Bible verse on depression, a Bible verse on anxiety, a Bible verse on making decisions, and there will be Bible verses that you can look at. Start memorizing it and see what the Lord will do. So will you take this time just for about 30 seconds, 45 seconds, just make a commitment to the Lord and allow His Word to come and speak into your heart. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.